Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this evening, for just gathering us men here again, Lord. We thank you that you continue to just uh, bless us with spiritual wisdom through the study of this uh, book, Strategy of Saying, Lord. We thank you that you do uh, show us, Lord, that the ways uh, that the enemy uh, uh, works, Lord, in, in a way to uh, try to bring us down and attack this church, Lord. We thank you that we can turn to you for strengthening, for spiritual discernment to know when the enemy is near, Lord, to protect us and, and the body here, Lord. So again, we thank you for this time, and we ask that you just open up our hearts right now, Lord, to see what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name. You know, as we continue to, to study through this uh, book, The Strategy of Saying, we'll be, we'll be covering chapter 7 this evening that covers when Satan goes to church. And that's a interesting topic. You know, it, it's, it's a beautiful and awesome blessing to see a Christian church thriving spiritually, growing, and, and being used by the Lord, right? And, 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 and we wonder, you know, well, what's, what's so important or what's so different about that church? It's being led by the Spirit, and God is using it. You know, and that's an awesome blessing. And you might wonder, well, why do some churches continue to thrive and continue to grow and, and prosper while some churches, they dwindle down with time and do not survive? You know, why do some churches just don't make it? You know, what, what's going on there? Why do some churches over time actually become non-existent? You know, those of you who've been to Europe, who's been to Europe here? You know, you, it's sad to see the many beautifully built uh, church buildings who were once thriving churches are now vacant or they're being used for other businesses. And that's a sad thing to see because you know that that church was thriving at one point. But what happened? You know, what happened to those churches? You know, why does the Spirit of God leave certain churches? And... Unfortunately, in some churches, they remain open, but the Spirit of God has left. It's not being led by the Spirit anymore. And you might wonder, well, how does this happen in the church of God? You know, what factors contribute to this spiritual demise of, of certain churches? You know, why do some of these churches experience this fall? And the common underlying contributing factor for the spiritual weakening and eventual fall of these churches really is the unwelcome guest, right? Who is what? He, Satan. Satan comes, has a way to, to come into a church with the intention of sabotaging that church. And how do you define sabotage? You know, the dictionary defines it as the destruction of property or obstruction of normal operations as by civilians or enemy agents in time of war. It's a treacherous action to defeat or hinder a cause or an endeavor or an endeavor. It's a deliberate subversion. That's the definition of sabotage. And who, uh, who used to see the, remember the old Mission Impossible uh, series, the TV series? And then the movie came out and you know, what was that about? You know, it was about a mission that was assigned to an undercover agent, right, who had this mission to 
come to disguise himself and infiltrate the operation at all levels, ultimately to destroy that operation. That was his mission. And we need to be reminded that the church also has an enemy, a saboteur, if you will. And he could come in and infiltrate the church at all levels, ultimately to create instability and disunity with the intention of ultimately destroying the church. He will try everything he can to sabotage the church. And the enemy knows, you know, if he can sabotage and destroy the church, God's purposes and plan for that church will not happen, right? If the church falls, if it becomes, if it has to close its doors for whatever reason, God's will cannot be worked in and through that church. And this is nothing new. You know, Satan has been attacking the church from the beginning. You know, we learn from Acts 5. Remember when when the, the, the Spirit was moving and, 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 and people were being saved and, and it was growing? What happened? Satan came in and he thrust his first attack on the Christian church. And how did he do that? He used that couple, right, that Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of their prophets and, 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 and pretending like they were giving it all to the church. So they lied to the Holy Spirit, and Satan uses this lie as, as an attack on the church. That was the very first attack on the church. And of course, with Peter's uh, spiritual wisdom, he was able to recognize that, and he confronts them on this. And they didn't admit, they didn't confess. What happened? The Holy Spirit makes them, uh, they were struck dead. That was the consequence, you know, of, of their sin of lying to the Holy Spirit. And throughout Acts and the, and the Gospels, we see that Satan was at work in the temples, right? Remember the, all those demon-possessed people that were in, in the temple? They were being healed, right, through the hand of Jesus and through some of the disciples. So Satan was at work even back then in the house of God. And he is at work even now in the churches today. And... It's a, it's an uh, it's just something that we need to just be reminded that we do have an enemy whose prime uh, goal is to come into the church, sabotage it, infiltrate at all different levels, and ultimately to weaken the church enough to destroy the church. And Satan knows very well he doesn't need to focus his efforts and time outside of the church, right, on the people out there. All those unbelievers that don't come to church, they're already being led by his will and they're in, they're in the palm of his hand. So he doesn't have to worry about those people outside the church. So what does he do? He makes his way into the church. He might be sitting in one of these seats tonight observing and devising his plan of attack. So we need to be mindful that we have an enemy that could certainly come into a church and try to infiltrate and destroy. So tonight, the outline we'll be following out of Wiersbe's book uh, covers six uh, different uh, areas that Saint attacks within the church. The first one is Saint attacks the pastor. Number two, Saint attacks the brethren. Saint attacks the worship. Saint attacks the church leaders. 
Sane attacks in the selection of the pastor and elders and sane attacks through an unforgiving spirit among the brethren. So number one, his first target of attack is the pastor, right? If one wanted to destroy a church, who would be the obvious number one target? The pastor. Saying knows very well, if you attack the leader, the church will be weakened. If you bring down, you know, the, the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. You know, our pastor has a big bullseye on him. And, and Sain will do everything in his part to make him fall. And he will not only attack him, but he's going to attack his family. And, and he's going to use family members, friends, and the brethren of this church to try to bring him down. And we need to be reminded of that. And he could also use instill pride in his heart to try to make him fall. Again, these things are not, I'm not saying this is happening, but this, these are things that potentially can happen and the enemy works in these ways. And he could also use temptation, right? Through substance, drugs, alcohol, the lust of the eyes. He will use those attacks on our pastor to try to make him fall. And it's sad because I know of pastors who have fallen in this way. And it's just sad that Satan has had his way on those pastors. You know, they're, they're broken. They, they, they just, they fall to those temptations and, and, and eventually Satan has his way with them. And it's why it's so important that we as men, as a body of this church, need to be faithfully praying for our pastor. Faithfully. Just keep it in your prayers. You know, we, we learn in, in, uh, in, in Exodus how Aaron and her raised the arms of Moses during the battle, right? To be victorious over those battles. We too, as a church, as men of God, need to be raising the arms of our pastor and support him in any way that we can. So this continue to pray regularly for him and his family. Now, other ways, you know, there's brethren who may have a critical spirit in the body. And, and they might uh, have this problem, uh, maybe the way the things are being taught, maybe they got offended or something, and they develop this critical spirit in their heart. What's the enemy going to do? He's going to work on that critical spirit to try to instill uh, uh, more division and, and strife and discourage our pastor. You know, so we need to be careful with, with those people who develop uh, uh, critical spirits. And this could be discouraging. There might be problems in the church, you know, that arise. There's always problems right in the church. But many of these problems really should be dealt with if they can be dealt with by people under the pastor. Why should we burden the pastor with, with things that are really minuscule issues that could easily be dealt with either by you guys if it's something that's minuscule or, or, or by the leadership? We don't have to burden our, our pastor with a lot of these problems that, that do arise in the church. 
And the enemy will try to burden our pastor by creating problems in the church. He will try to use that distraction to, to get him off track. And we learn in Acts, in the early church, remember what did they do? They delegated responsibilities to other men. So the apostles had that, that quality time to get in the word and, and in prayer, right? So they delegate it, and, and that's important as a church. We also need to do that. You know, we need to protect our, our pastor's quality time with the Lord. He needs to be hearing from the Lord. He doesn't have to be doing with a lot of these minor distractions that really can be dealt with by, by others. Number two, what does what Satan do? He attacks the brethren. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, says, Beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You know, so Satan will use false brethren to attack the church. And these are people that come into the church appearing godly and and holy, but they have this ulterior plan to cause strife, cause division within the body, and spread false doctrine. These are false brethren that are uh, empowered by Satan to instill false doctrine to the the, the church, and ultimately to create, again, confusion and potentially division. But thank God that the Spirit of God does give us that spiritual discernment to recognize, you know, when those false brethren do come in to our church, right? And we've had false brethren come in, you know, but thank God that we were able to recognize that and that was dealt with, you know, but that certainly is a tool that the, the enemy can use to, 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 to again create some uh, confusion in doctrine and instability within the body. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warns us of these false brethren that attacked the church at Corinth. And I'll go ahead and read that verse. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. You know, our church has to be mindful that false brethren certainly could come in through those doors at any time. And the enemy, again, will use that. And since our church, as other Calvaries, our doors are open to anyone who comes through those doors, right? But we're not demanding the, what their faith is and, and demanding a, a background check. We don't require that. You know, we're open, but at the same time, it does... Uh, get, uh, put us at a higher risk that false brethren will come in through those doors. And Satan will use that. But thank God, you know, God really is in control, right? And he's going to ultimately protect our church. So number three, Satan will attack the worship. You know, before Satan was cast out of heaven as a fallen angel, you know, we learn in Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen that Lucifer held a privileged angelic position and was involved with heavenly worship. Before he fell, he was involved with heavenly worship. And since worship is an important part of the ministry, and since worship is a, 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 a way to you know, offer praise to our Lord and the means by which we come to the throne of God, 
Satan is going to try to do everything he can to disrupt that worship, to distract the worship, to get us off focus. Because he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing because he once was a worshiper himself. So he knows exactly what to do. And here at our church, we are truly blessed, you know, with awesome worship. We have some skilled musicians here that really bless us with awesome worship. But nevertheless, what happens? Satan could still try to come in and sabotage the worship. And he'll try to attack the worship leader by instilling pride and by making him feel like he deserves all this praise. He'll try to work on, on our worship leader and we need to keep our, our worship leader in prayer. We've had worship leaders that have become so prideful and puffed up that they become a distraction themselves. So it is possible and Satan will use that. And Satan will try also to create this unity among the worship group, you know, and try ultimately to create division. Again, these are things, I'm not saying it's happening here at our church, but there are potential things that the that Satan will attack. These are areas that, that Satan can attack. And other ways he attacks during worship is by creating distraction, right? It's always, there's always somebody coming in late. There's always a cell phone going off at most opportune time. There's always, sometimes babies crying. And these are distractions. You're trying to do worship, but all these things start happening all of a sudden. Again, it's a distraction that the enemy can use to get us off track, off our focus in worship. You might be worshiping and, you know, you're all into it. And what the enemy could potentially bring somebody right in front of you, maybe an attractive lady and, you know, may even dressed in a revealed way. And all of a sudden, what happens? You lose focus. And the enemy will use those tactics. We need to be careful as men. And that's one of the reasons why, really, it's probably even better if you can't just close your eyes. Because you will not be distracted by things around. You know, it's just you and the Lord. You, you want to pr uh, offer praises and adoration to our Lord through worship. And you don't want any kind of uh, distraction. But the enemy will create these distractions. Other ways he does it is by disorderly worship. You know, some in some churches... It happens. It doesn't happen at our church, thank God, but it can happen where people start getting out of control during the worship. They start getting real loud, and, and, and that can be a distraction. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And that's what we're called to have during worship. But if you have people worshiping out of control, they're jumping up and down, they're using inappropriate bodily movements, what's that going to happen? It's going to distract the worship. And and it's it's I, I'm reminded of a we had a brother here some time ago. He doesn't come here anymore, but he would come. He was dressed in a white suit, and he would come and during the worship he would stand in that aisle and start dancing and kind of in a provocative way, inappropriate movements. It was a major distraction. 
But thank God that brother left on his own. <laughs> but people, people were getting stumbled. People were getting distracted by this brother. You know, so definitely the enemy will use people to come in and try to distract our worship. The other thing, Christian worship, it needs to be tied to the Word of God, right? The Word of God is the foundation of worship. And and the lyrics used need to be aligned with God, what God says in His Word. If you have worship songs that have secular stuff or are secular, or if you start having worship songs that have things in it that go against what the word says, that kind of worship does not belong in the church, in, the, in, in this, in this church, right? It needs to be aligned with the word of God. And thank God here we're blessed with uh, awesome worship that is aligned with the word of God. But the enemy will try to instill even be, we've got to be careful. We have maybe even people visiting, to, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, People that are do worship for us, and we may not know a whole lot of them. Anyway, you know, potentially they might come up with music that is totally secular, and you know, we don't want to be legalistic, but it needs to be aligned with the Word of God. And the whole purpose of worship, what is it? Right, and and we need to be praising the Lord and offer Him that praise and honor that he deserves through worship. And if they're singing songs that totally are against his word or, you know, if it's worldly music, that's not going to serve the purpose. So, but the enemy can use that. In John uh, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We are all called to worship in spirit and truth. As men of God, we, need, we want to have a heart of worship, but we need to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that means worshiping our God with a sincere heart, Right? And, and, and with an attitude of that true adoration for our Lord. Sincere heart, humble heart, broken heart that just wants to just praise the Lord for who He is. You know, these songs that we did in worship, they were appropriate. We bow down. We thank Him who, for who He is. He is our God and He deserves our true worship. But the enemy will attack this kind of true worship by making you worship with a false pretense. And he would, he could do that. You know, appearing godly, raising your hands, you know, and, and, and pretending like you're really getting to the worship, but you're doing it with the wrong attitude or with unresolved conflict in your heart, or maybe you're holding on to unconfessed sin and here you are worshiping all holy and godly but you have not taken care of this other stuff. That's false pretense. And the Lord knows. 
Maybe you, on your way to church, you got into an argument with your spouse or with your kids and you don't resolve that conflict. So you come in through those doors with all this anger and, uh, and bitterness and, and you're just fuming and you didn't take care of it. And here you are and you, and you want to worship the Lord. The enemy will want you to do that. He wants you to hang on to unresolved conflict in your heart and come in and worship. Because he knows very well that's not effective worship. That's not the worship that's going to bless our Lord. And that's not the worship that, that's going to uh, bring that praise to him. Because he knows, I mean, we're not, it's not a sincere worship. And we need to take care of those things. Try to take care of those things before you come here. I know it's hard. The enemy is out there. And, we're, you know, it happens. You're with your spouse and you're having a conversation. All of a sudden you get in an argument. And you don't resolve it by the time you come in here. So we need to be careful with that, you know, and try to take care of it. God is not blessed with our false worship. In Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if you're holding on to anger or bitterness towards someone, we're called to let go of that. Come clean when you come here to the house of God. Now, there are some who worship in a way to get the attention from others. There's some who come in and they're worshiping, not for with the desire to praise the Lord and, and have a sincere heart. They're here and they want to get attention from man. That's not the kind of worship that the Lord deserves. That's not the kind of worship that's going to bring blessing to Him. We need to be careful there's people out there that have a full desire just to get attention and they'll use worship with that intention to gain recognition or get that attention from others. Matthew 6, 1, 5 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets and that they may have glory for men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that there may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have the reward. We don't want to be worshiping for those reasons. And we all need to do a self-evaluation. Where are we in our worship? Every one of us. You know, are we truly worshiping God with the right heart? You know, are we truly worshiping God with a sincere and humble heart? You know, are we, or, or are we worshiping him with this unresolved sin or this bitterness in our, and anger in our heart? Are we worshiping him in that way with that in our hearts? 
We need to, again, evaluate where we're at in our worship and not do it out of pretense to gain the attention of man. In Ephesians um, 5, 18, 19, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Our worship needs to be Spirit-filled. Don't you want that kind of worship? Just full of the Spirit. You need to be led by the Spirit and be worshiping in the Spirit. And that's the kind of worship that's going to bring praises to our Lord. And that's the kind of worship that is done in Spirit and in truth. And that's, again, the worship that's going to bless our Lord. So let's be men with a heart of worship, with a sincere heart of worship when we come here. Let's surrender it all to Him. Praise Him for what He's done in our lives. And He's done a lot, hasn't He? He he deserves that praise from us. That's the least that we could do for what He's done for us. And that's a time where we need to come clean and have that attitude of worship. Number four. Satan will attack the leaders of the church. And that includes assistant pastors, elders, ministry leaders. And he knows very well if he could attack and influence the leaders, it will stumble people and ultimately will weaken the body. He's going to work on those leaders. And he will try again to instill that pride among the leadership to create that division. And leaders are called, you know, to be in prayer and in the word and be led by the spirit. And Satan will try to make leaders feel puffed up like they have all this wisdom that's self-earned and, 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 and self-made. And, and, but this is human wisdom, right? It's not true godly wisdom. But as leaders, we're called to have godly wisdom. And what is true godly wisdom? In James uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And it's this earthly, natural, demonic wisdom that can infect a church, and it will be uh, under Satan's control. That's exactly what Satan wants, for us to be relying on that human wisdom instead of true godly wisdom. And leaders in the church are called you know, to a higher standard and need to be in dedicated prayer and in the Word to be able to be led by the Spirit in their responsibilities 
and be able to minister through godly wisdom. We're, we're going to be held accountable if, if we're not doing those things to be able to minister in a godly way to the, the, the body, the brethren. So we're not doing our part. The enemy's going to come in. So it's also important for you men to keep the leadership in prayer. Because the leadership is also targets. And he knows if he brings the leadership down, it's going to weaken the body. Number five, Satan can attack the selection of leaders, elders, and pastors. You know, in First in Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven, Paul lists uh, the the qualifications of pastors and elders. And I'll go ahead and read that. It says, "This is a faithful saying: If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife." temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And these are qualifications that overseers, again like pastors and elders in the church, need to meet and be accountable to. But as men of God, these are qualifications that we all need to pray that we also meet, right? All of you here should be praying to be able to meet these qualifications. And imagine if, if we lived in a way where all this described every one of us here. We would be on fire and, and we would be so much more uh, powerful for the Lord's kingdom. Powerful soldiers for Christ. Blameless, you know, having a good testimony. Being able to rule over your house, having your house in order, being teachable, not quarrelsome, not covetous. These are qualities that, again, as men of God, we should be able, we should be living for, to be able to live this way. And if you're falling short in any of these areas, you know, God's grace is going to cover that. And you pray that God will strengthen you in those areas. But our, our, our desire and our goal, again, as men of God, should be to have these qualifications in our life. We don't want to fall short. We don't want to cut the, the Lord you know, short in, in what He has planned for our lives. And if we don't do a lot of some of these things, it's going to hinder His work in your life. He will not be able to fulfill that plan as much as he wants if you are not taking care of these things. So pray. And God, again, is more than able to make you qualified for his His work. You know, these are qualifications, again, that we need to be just always be reminded of. And the pastors, the elders, the leadership, they need to continue to be accountable to this. 
you know, just because you're already if a pastor, elder is already in that position, they're still accountable because things do change over time. The enemy comes in and could create havoc and, and cause disruption and make a leader fall in some of these areas. So they need to be accountable. And that's, again, another reason why we need to keep the leadership in prayer. The enemy's busy, but we need to be also be busy praying. And unfortunately, there, there are churches who, who do raise up pastors and elders who do not meet these criteria. And that has its repercussions. You know, just because a person has been a Christian for a long time and maybe is well-liked by, by others, that doesn't mean that they could serve in the capacity of a pastor or elder. Just because you're a mature Christian, and again, if you're well-liked and, you know, and you, you're all of a sudden you're put in that position too fast and you don't meet these criteria, there's going to be repercussions from that. Those are the reasons why the Word tells us these qualifications. But unfortunately, many churches don't follow these, these criteria and they just put people on staff and too soon or they're raised up too soon. But we need to be reminded that it is God who calls and appoints pastors and elders and it is the senior pastor of the church that will confirm this calling. Satan will use spiritual pride to attack many of these leaders, you know, who may have been raised up too fast and he knows he could do that and he'll weaken the church. Uh, There's a... In in in, chat, in let's see in three John, chapter one verses nine and ten, the apostle John talks about this this prideful leader, in one of the churches who refused to receive him, at his church. Despite you know this authority, this apostolic authority that John had already uh, had, this church leader decides, no, you're not going to be at my church. And that's pride. You know, let's, let me read that. It says, I wrote to to the church, but the atrophies who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. So because of this prideful church leader, Diotrephes, and his refusal to receive John, the church ended up missing on a blessing to have the Apostle John come and minister to this church. And he may have very well had a, a, a godly revelation to, to share with the church, but they missed out on that blessing. And that's because of a prideful leader that did not want, for whatever reason, he didn't want this Apostle John, who had, was more important than him, to come and minister. It's like Pastor Chuck. You know, if he one day would want to come and, and speak to Calvary Monrovia. But our pastor says, no, nope, no way, you can't do that. Not that that would happen, but... What would happen? We would miss out on a blessing, right? If Pastor Chuck wanted to come and minister to us, 
So this church here did miss out on a definite blessing. And Wisby mentions that the fact that, that a member has been in fellowship for many years or in a position of leadership for many years is no guarantee of spiritual wisdom. So there might, there's people on staff who have been serving for many years. It's no guarantee they have spiritual wisdom or godly wisdom. You know, so the enemy will come in in those, in those areas as well. So finally, number six, Satan tries to work in the church through an unforgiving spirit. And this was already covered by Pastor Richard in the last study, but just to be complete on this outline, because it does deal with these issues today with the topic, I'll go ahead and cover it some. But Satan will use unforgiveness and bitterness among the body to ultimately create division. And people get hurt, people get jealous, and these emotions will fester in a person's heart to a point where it will affect their willingness and desire to fellowship with the brethren. Because that, that stuff festers, you know, that, that jealousy, that anger, that, that hurt feeling, unresolved uh, conflict will affect a person's desire to want to minister to a brethren. And Satan will capitalize on that, on an unforgiving and bitter heart, ultimately to create division. But we need to remember, you know, that we all are called to love each other, right? Despite our differences, and we're called to forgive each other as Christ forgave us, right? And and we are just men that are likely going to hurt each other, offend each other, but we're still called to forgive. Let's not hold on to any of that unforgiveness in our heart or bitterness. And that happens. And there's, there's people that are totally, get totally disconnected from the body because they refuse to let go of that bitterness and, and anger and jealousy towards the brethren. So what do they do? They get disconnected from the body. They refuse to be a part of it or they boycott the fellowships. It happens. That should not be in the house of God. You know, we are, as Christians, are set apart, right? We should be set apart. And we should be sharing the love of Christ towards each other. Unconditionally, right? So whoever has a problem with a brother, take care of it in a timely manner. Don't hold on to that. The enemy will want you to hold on to it. And he knows very well, the longer you hold on to that, it's going to get harder to resolve. You get a hardened heart, and before you know it, you just totally not even in fellowship with that person, or you're at a point where you're totally disconnected from the body. He has you where he wants you. So again, we're human. We deal with the flesh, and we deal with these shortcomings as, as men, and we're likely to offend each other at some point. Or pride might set in thinking, well, why is that person getting blessed? Why is that person getting raised and not me? And you start, you know, holding this bitterness and jealousy towards that brother. And that's where the enemy wants you. But again, we're called to not be that way. Let go of that. It's going to hinder 
your walk with the Lord if you hold on to that stuff. So just be reminded we're just men. (laughs) Satan knows that if he can cause a church to neglect the love of Christ towards the brethren, he would have accomplished his mission. The love of Christ, if it gets taken away from the body, he would have accomplished his mission. And we're blessed in this church. We have a strong body. You know, it's united. And as men, we continue to get strengthened in, as, a, as a strong bond among us. We're, 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 we're blessed. And let's keep it that way. Don't let the enemy have his way. So what, do, what is the solution? I mean, how do we keep saying from infiltrating our church? It starts with prayer, right? We first pray for that spiritual discernment that we're able to recognize when the enemy has come into the church. And God will give us that spiritual discernment to know the enemy's in the church trying to create havoc. And he will be able to recognize it through his spirit. We also need to be faithfully praying for our pastor and the leadership that God will continue to instill godly wisdom to make those godly decisions and to be able to be led by the Spirit to help lead that church, the church, in a godly way, according to God's will. Keep the pastor, our pastor, the leadership in prayer. And we need to also be continuing to pray, of course, for unity in the church and speak the truth in love, right? So if you see a problem with a brother or if a brother has hurt you, address it with him in love and forgive him. Take care of it. Resolve it. If a person is spreading false doctrine, inform the pastor and the leadership and and the proper steps can be taken. If a brother is trying to cause division... Also inform the leadership. Because you, you need to put those things out right away. You know, if you're aware of somebody that's really starting to, to, to uh, gather the, 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 the body and, and, and with the intention of creating division and, and, and not submitting to the authority or, or going against the leadership, that's, that's a time where it's, it's a red flag. And you need to share that with the leadership if, that, if you see that. Because we need to put that out. We need to take care of it right away. Because if we don't, more people will start coming in, and that's when major church divisions occur. So we need to all do our part, guys. Proverbs 22.10, it says, Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. You know, like the way uh, Wiersbe puts it, that blessing and joy will come to a church when sin has been evicted. And don't we want that? We want our church to have a sign out there saying, the enemy has been evicted from this church. You know, and, and that's an awesome blessing. We know that our church could be foolproof against the attacks of the enemy. And the more our church is thriving and being used, of course, those attacks are going to escalate, right? 
So we all need to continue to pray for God's hedge of protection over our church and that our church will remain strong and united with the proper defenses in place so the enemy will not be able to come in and accomplish that mission. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for for this evening, Lord. We, we thank you that you do give us guidance through your word on just the strategies of saying how he, he, he devises plans to just infiltrate a church, Lord, to ultimately destroy the church, Lord. But let every man here be mindful, Lord, of the things that we discussed. And by your spirit, we know that you will guide every man here, Lord, to be able to recognize when the enemy is here, Lord. Help us to uh, be sensitive to your spirit to recognize the attacks and, and give us that, that wisdom and the guidance to know how to uh, resolve those, those issues that come up in the church, Lord. Help us to be faithful in prayer for our church, for the unity of our church, for our pastor, for our leadership, and help us just to be faithful to those things that we as, as members of this church should be doing, Lord. We want to bless you in everything that goes on in this church, including the worship, Lord. We, we ask that you continue to, to bless our, our worship group here, Lord, uh, and, and continue to empower them by your spirit to lead us into your throne, Lord. We thank you that you have blessed us with the people that you, you put here. Uh, and, and we just thank you, Lord, for just the, the work that you, you've, uh, started here at this church and the work that you've done and just the future, the fruit that's going to continue to, to come out of this church, Lord. So we ask for your hedge of protection over this building and everything that goes on, Lord. Let us as men of God again, uh, be, uh, walking in the spirit in a way that's going to please you, Lord, and taking care of the things that need to be taken care of in our, in our private walks with you, Lord, in our personal walks with you. And help us again to meet those qualifications that you call us to meet in your word, Lord. And we just thank you for this time and we ask for your continued blessing on our discussion in Jesus' name. So why don't we go ahead and break up into some groups of six and we have some questions. So go ahead and break up, guys, and uh, we'll take, uh, you know, about maybe uh, 10, 15 minutes, okay?